Um, I'm going to look at a topic, so that means I'm going to be around the Bible a lot. So I'd like to take your Bibles and turn some of these passages. I want to look at why repentance is so crucial. And of course, this is not exhausting the subject at all. This is just giving you some introduction to it. Repentance, turning away from your way, turning to God's way. We're doing that the rest of our life. Uh, That's not just for initial salvation. That's all the time. Well, there there are some things that uh, I want to just identify this evening in the Word of God. And so, few passages in, in Acts and some in, in Isaiah and then uh, Timothy and, uh, and then Psalm. And so we're going to be all over the place tonight. But I, I'd like you to take your Bibles at least and start off in Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. And I want to look at one of three points and then some sub points underneath it is that why is repentance so crucial? It's because it has been mandated by God for the good of humanity and the well-being of all believers. All right? It has been mandated by God for the good of humanity. Now, this passage of Scripture brings that thought out because if I were to uh, put a number on this one, it would be number one, God commands it. Look what it says in Acts 17, verse 30. It says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should what should repent so the message of repentance is a universal message mandated by god himself and of course verse number 31 why did he do that well there's a reason why and this is the reason why god had mandated repentance for a global purpose is because it is the only way to escape God's judgment and eternal death. Look at verse number 31. Because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. In other words, repentance towards God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the way, this is what God commands. And, and believe me, belief is Not an option. Belief is an obedience to God's command. Because he says, come to me. Right? It's it's a command. It's an imperative. And so therefore, when somebody does not believe, they are actually disobeying a command of God. And that command is to what? Repent. Why? Because eternal judgment is next. And God wants to rescue you from his own judgment. And so how does he do it? He mandates repentance. Now, That brings me to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And so that means also under God's mandate of repentance, it is also the channel of God's forgiveness. And if you look in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, notice what it says there. Now, I want to look at some of the words there. Peter said to them in Acts chapter 2, 38, Repent, each of you, and uh, to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for what? The forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the channel of God's forgiveness is through repentance, and it is to escape dying in unforgiven sin. 
All sin is unforgiven until you come to Christ. He's the only one who can forgive you, and the way to come uh, is to repent. Now that brings me to an Old Testament passage, and and I'd like everybody to turn there in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15, because there is also a conduit of God's joy and help that comes through repentance. And I believe the Lord gives us this is for this reason. In Isaiah 30, verse 15, is to escape being abandoned to our own stubborn will. Listen, God mandates repentance, so we're not abandoned to ourselves. This is God's grace. And of course, through that comes joy and help from God. Look what it says in verse uh, Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has, has said, uh, New American Standard says, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. And then notice the last part of this passage of Scripture. But you were not willing. In fact, if you look in the margin in some of your Bibles, it says repentance means to return to me. Repentance is seen simply for Israel is to return to God. Stop going the way of your own stubborn heart and start turning to God and following him. So see, the mandate of God's repentance is that is the conduit of joy and help in which we are rescued from our own stubborn wills. All right, moving on. It also is the open door to understanding God's truth. Now, of course, again, a lot of verses tonight, but second, if you're good with your Bible, if you're not good, you're going to get better tonight. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, and then verse 26, all right, it's really the open door to understanding God's truth. If you look in verse 25 of Second Timothy, you'll notice there, and I'll read verse 25, and then for the next point, I'll pick up verse 20. Uh, the second part of verse 25 and 26, it says this, uh, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, and then notice this little word. In Scripture, is a very interesting word, if. It's a conditional word, right? Conditional word. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, right? Leading to a knowledge of the truth. So through the door of repentance comes an understanding of God's truth. And so therefore, for what reason? To escape from ignorance and move us to what is really true. To escape from our own ignorance as to what we think we ought to be doing to what God has said what we ought to be doing. And that is, of course, the real truth. And then a fifth thing under the mandate of God is that it breaks the deception of the devil. Right there in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So it is by and through repentance that we escape spiritual insanity and the snare of the devil which people really don't even know they're in or under or in his grasp right but they are and so therefore that's why the 
repentance becomes the most crucial message in the Bible. If we don't preach repentance, we, we're not telling people to turn from the stubbornness of their heart, the clutches of Satan, uh, unforgiven sin that only can God, and eternal death. Those are the major things that we, in the gospel, which helps us to share with people to turn from that and turn to the only solution God's given us for the solution to every one of those things, and that's Jesus Christ, right? And that's why repentance becomes so crucial in this aspect of salvation. Uh, you, can't, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid this in Scripture. This is God's mandate. Uh, and so if anybody tries to avoid it, they're just avoiding the an, an inevitable truth found in Scripture. And not only that, it brings us to a place where repentance puts off, puts off spiraling sin. It actually puts an end to sin and uh, where sin becomes comes out of control all right a second point under why repentance is so crucial is this because of the ordained means god uses to bring about repentance in time and space right repentance is for life it's for time and space it's for the time in which we live the space in which we live and so god has certain means that he has ordained to bring about our repentance. If you talk to anybody about their testimony, everybody has a different way in which God, different circumstances in which God used in their life to bring them to a knowledge of the truth. But it's the same message that saves them, right? It's the same mandate of God that saves them, but different circumstances. So God often ordains different means to get the message of repentance to you. However, he needs to do that, and he does it. And one reason why he does it, because, number one, it is the work of God. Repentance is the work of God. Now, again, um, some more passages. Acts chapter 11, verse number 18, which you should look at this one. And, um, because in this one, again, we get the sense that it is the work of God. Uh, in Acts eleven eighteen, it says, When they heard this, They quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also repentance that leads to life. All right, so in this passage of Scripture and in others, we find that repentance is not only a work of God, but it is a gift of God. God grants it to whoever he wants to grant it to. Now, of course, in this case, he grants it to all the Gentiles, right? And if you are a Gentile tonight, you should be thanking the Lord for the work of repentance because he has granted it so repentance would come your way and you would hear the message of the gospel and you would be saved. Why? Because God granted it to uh, to you uh, and you and I and opened the door and that door leads to life. Another thing is that under that, it, it's the work of God. It's by the word of God that it takes place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 37, remember, it's the preaching of the word of God that brings, that, that is the means in which God uses. This is the main means in which God uses. Remember, faith comes by what? Hearing? And hearing by the word of God. But look at this passage. It says, now when they heard this, Acts two thirty-seven, when they heard this, what happened? They were pierced to their heart. Right now, the piercing to the heart is this very sense of of the conviction that comes 
when we are convicted over our sins, especially in this case, was their whole uh, rejection of Christ. They're pierced now. They realize they're the ones who crucified Christ. Uh, and so they're being Jews. And so therefore they are gr- greatly grieved and convicted in their heart. And then notice in verse 37, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. So here it is. It's what's the means God uses? The Word of God to bring conviction, to lead to the message of repentance, to lead to forgiveness of sins, to lead to the indwelling of the Spirit of God, to lead being made right with God. And where does it start? It starts with repentance, right? And of course, baptism is one of the first evidences of true repentance towards God. It's one of the first true evidences that people are willing to obey what they believed and make that public before people. All right. Another thing is, uh, and we're going to go to Psalm 51, and we're probably going to park there for a while. Some of the other passages I'm going to use You don't necessarily have to turn there. I'll just uh, look at them and read them to you. But another means is simply this, by the people of God. God uses people to bring repentance, the message of repentance to people. Now, in this case, uh, in Psalm 51, verse 1, the first part of the verse Look what it says. It says, when Nathan the prophet came to him, that's David, after he had gone into Bathsheba, right? What did Nathan the prophet come to tell him? He came to tell him this story in 2 Samuel chapter 12, right? About this, this poor man and his lamb and that this other man who was richer than him took the poor man's lamb and, you know, the story went on and David got furious at this and says, whoever the man was, he ought to be killed actually and nathan says david you're the man because he stole uriah's wife he sent uriah to the hottest part of the battle he got killed he was uh that of course would be murder and in fact the bible does call david a murderer uh, in scripture in second samuel and so david's standing in them now and here's this the bony finger of the prophet nathan sticking his finger in his face and says david you're the man now he's the king but God speaks, remember, through the prophet to the king with his message. You're the man. And then David's g- deeply grieved at, uh, and under conviction. And then the Nathan prophet says to him, but David, God has what? Forgiven you. Now, wait a minute. The penalty for adultery and murder is death, right? So here God steps in and he forgives God's allowed to do that. And that's what he does. And matter of fact, that's not only what he does with David. That's what he does with you and I. We are guilty, right? The wages of sin is what? Eternal death. We are guilty before God under the penalty of eternal death and judgment and condemnation. And God steps in with the message of Christ to rescue you so you, God can say to you, you're guilty, but I have forgiven you. And that puts us in a different place. And so therefore, it is the people of God 
he uses as a means to bring the message of repentance to other people. He may use you. He may have already used you to bring the message of repentance to someone else. See, that's what God does. He does use people. He does ordain the means by which he moves the message all around the globe. And I thank the Lord for that. Now, you know what? I did say this, but there's another passage of Scripture you may want to turn to before I look at Psalm 51. Keep your hand there in Psalm 51 and turn to Romans chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. Because, remember, there's another means in which God uses, and it's simply this, and I'm going to give it to you right in the beginning. It's by the kindness and grace of God. That's the means God uses. Look what it says in Romans 2, verse 4 to 6. Or do you think lightly of the riches and of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to what? Repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each person according to his deeds. So what is between God's judgment and the forgiveness of sin? The kindness of God in the means he brings the message to you to repent and turn from your sins and embrace Christ, right? For what reason? So Christ will take your wrath and your judgment and you won't have to be waiting for this wrath that's being stored up against you in the end. Right? That's the rescue, and it's, it's about repentance. So, it's also, if I look at the timing of God, that's part of the means. There's a time that God uses. He uses time as a means. It may, like I said, it may be a particular circumstance. It may be a particular time of your life in which he brings you, and he, against gives you the sense of the emptiness of life and the futility of life and the restlessness of life. And you start asking the big questions like, why I was born? Why am I here? Where am I going? You know, what happens after death? And, you know, you know is there a God? You know, am I responsible to that? And all these things happen. So in God's timing, he may bring you to the place where you're, you're completely and totally at the end of yourself, at the end of your rope, and then the message of repentance comes. And he uses that as a means, and he also uses discipline as a means. In, in Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines people. He brings them under his hand of chastisement for, for many reasons, but one of the reasons could be the means of bringing them to repentance, help them to, helping them to see uh, that they need to turn to God and, and, and move away from their selfish pride and their, uh, you know, exalting themselves over the things of God. And God brings them low to the point where they're ready to turn from themselves and trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, so which, which one of these prompts you to repent? You know, I, and of course I did not exhaust them, but the thing is that which one of these, maybe one of these I mentioned, Something prompted you to come to repentance. And it has been ordained by God already, the means that was going to, he was going to use, and the mandate that comes from heaven that God was going to bring repentance to you. Why? So you can be saved, right? So you can be saved. Now, let me switch to sanctification. 
Let me switch to the modification, the third point. The modification brought about in our souls by true repentance. Now, I, I use that word modification for the lack of other words, but something happens in you. You're modified when you become a believer, right? Some, something goes on inside of you. And let, let me just look at that for a few minutes. And that's where i like you to turn to Psalm 51 because I think this is a great example of when, remember, David coming under conviction and being told uh, by Samuel, um, excuse me, by Nathan the prophet to repent. He does do that. And certain things have happened or happens when he, when he does that and when we do that. And I think the first thing is this, that true repentance changes our thinking about sin. True repentance changes our thinking about sin. Look at Psalm 51 in verse 4. It modifies our thinking about who's offended. Against you and you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. Who's he talking to? David finally comes to see this. God, I sinned against you. Isn't that the ultimate truth of all sin and in repentance to bring you to the place to to get you to see who you actually sinned against. Some people think that their sin is just their own. And as long as they don't hurt anybody, they're just fine. Right. And as long as they keep it private to themselves and, you know, they don't let too many people know or not too many people are included or hurt by it, then they're pretty fine. No, all our sin is done before the eyes of God. And every sin we commit is a rebellion against our Creator and our Lord, right? So, see, when we actually repent and become believers, then our thinking about repentance changes, and we now know who we've offended. That's, that's very important um, to know who you offended. All right, second thing is in Psalm 51, verse 5, it modifies, uh, there's a modification regarding the cause of it. Look at what he says in in verse number five. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In other words, I've always been a sinner. From birth onward, I've had the sin of Adam pass on to me. I am a son of Adam. You are a son of Adam, right? We're children of Adam. And so, so therefore, the sin nature has been passed on to us. So soon as we are born into life, doesn't take very long before we have our own strong wills right out there, right? Little kids, you know, they, they, are, they're, they, they learn that word no very, very soon, and it, they know, I'm not going to do it. I don't have to listen to you. Who are you? You know? So it's that sense of um, the cause of sin is already in me, in my nature. And... Of course, there's a modification regarding the judgment of it. Verse 4, the second part of verse 4, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. In other words, God's the judge of sin. Uh, My mind is changed concerning that. And then in verse 2, in verse 7, there's a modification regarding the indelible uh, stain sin has left on my soul. Look what he says in verse 2. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purify me with hyssop 
and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. In other words, sin that has come into my life has so stained my soul, there is nothing anyone and myself or anyone else could do, no matter who. He's the king. He can do anything. He has all things available to him. He's the wealthiest guy, man in the world. He's the most powerful person in the world. And he cannot wash his sin from his soul. See, our, our thinking about sin so radically changes in repentance towards God that we realize there, has, there, there is nothing at all whatsoever we can do to wipe out our sin. God has to do it. It has to be something greater than us. And if you notice, he says here that, listen, I have to be purified. I have to be washed clean from this, and I have to become whiter than snow. Well, who can do that? Who can do that? And what does that? Well, we have a little hint in verse number 7, purify me with hyssop. Now, that hyssop is actually, um, is a, it's a branch. It's a branch that they used uh, in the Old Testament. And they used, to, I guess it was the character of the branch was, was that it was uh, formed in such a way they would dip it in a bowl, and that's where they would take it and sprinkle the blood. Well, matter of fact, turn to this passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 12, just to get you a, get a sense of hyssop, this uh, plant that was used in the Passover ceremony, but for the very reason to dip it in blood, for this, look at, let's go to Exodus 12, look at verse 21. I think you'll, you'll get the sense here uh, of what David's picturing in his mind when he uses this word hyssop. And he's, he's using the words, wash me clean and make me whiter than snow and blah, blah, blah. He goes on like this in verse number 21. He says, then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, go, take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. Verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lentil and to the doorpost, that's the top of the doorpost, above the doors, and then the doorposts themselves, and sprinkle and spread the blood over that. Why? Look what it says in verse 23. For the Lord will pass through and smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lentil and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come in to your house and smite you. See, you get the sense where it was the hyssop branch that was dipped in the blood that was spread over the door in which God's judgment passes over the person because of the blood of the slain animal, right? And what is that a picture of? The Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, right? It's a picture of him where he was slain, uh, his blood was shed, and so therefore when God the Father sees the blood of Christ over our account, he passes over us in judgment, right? And what does he see? He sees, he sees our soul washed clean. He's our, he sees our soul whiter than snow. Because of us? No, because of Christ. And so therefore, here's the picture in David's mind. The only thing that can wash away this indelible stain on my soul because of my sin towards God is the blood. The blood of Christ. The blood of the Passover lamb. That was not the only place hyssop was used. Actually, it was hit, uh, without turning, it was, it, was, it was used in another place when there was impurity that came into the camp. 
they would again do the same thing. They would take an animal, they would uh, slay it, they would dip the hyssop in the branch, and then they would cleanse certain items. And then at the end, it, it, the Bible says in other passages in Leviticus that you will be clean. So see, this whole understanding of hyssop and blood and cleansing is very, uh, it's the very picture of our own salvation. Um, so you can't get around it that there's a modification that comes to our thinking when we become believers. But there's a second thing under this modification thought, and it's true repentance involves a change in feelings about sin. Yes, feelings about sin. Well, um, without turning there, let me just quote the passage of Scripture to you in Second Corinthians. It says this, verse number 10, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In other words, that when we become believers, we have a change of our feeling about sin. We have, we have a, there is a sorrow about sin that people have all the time when they get caught, right? And they're sorry they did it. But that's about where it ends. Even though you're sorrowful what you did, it leads to death, right? But a believer has it, has an ever-growing depth of sorrow and a heartfelt sorrow over their sin because they know it offends God. And they know that uh, when they repent, um, it leaves us in a state in which we are not at whatsoever uh, regretting that we did that, but knowing that we've done that. But look at, look at Psalm 51. You're still there, right? Look at verse 16. It says this, for you, do, uh, for you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. And look at verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In other words, listen, when my heart is broken over my offense towards God, it opens the door of the, to the pleasure of God. This is exactly what God intended that our heart would be broken over sin. And when you have a broken heart over sin, you don't want to keep committing it. You want to keep going back to the the pig pen of sin, do you? Because you know that not only is it does it displease your Lord, but it does it wrecks havoc in your life in all kinds of areas, but you have this incredible brokenness in your spirit over what you've done. And you don't want it anymore. I want to I want, again, here's that repentance. I'm now a believer. I'm still repenting towards my sin. I I still have sorrow over over my sin. I still want to get it out of my life. And I know, and that's, again, preaching the cross to myself, that every day the cross is efficacious to me because on that cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ took care of every single sin, brought it under his blood, cleansed it. I'm still white as snow, and so are you. But in time and space... I still need to repent and turn from that sin and cooperate with the Spirit of God about how God feels about it. And I think that's a part of it. God brings us in and gives us some picture of how he feels, of how he looks at sin, and what it, how it wrecks our relationship, not only with him, but with everybody else, and destroys things. And so, therefore, we become very sensitive to it, and we don't want to do it in fact, in Psalm 51, verse 4, it says this, 
again, against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We look at sin as evil. Not, not as some, you know, white sins and pink sins and blue sins and different colored sins. No, sin is evil. And what is evil? The opposite of good. Right? Matter of fact, evil is taking good and twisting it. Evil is taking what God declared as good and twisting it. Right? Marriage is good in God's sight. God made it that way. But fornication and adulterers will be judged. What is that? Here's the ordinance of marriage. People take it and use it and say, well, I can, I can have relationships all I want. I don't have to be married. That's an old, musty doctrine. Well, you've just taken what God said is good and twisted it and made it evil. And so, therefore, that's why Hebrews says fornicators and adulterers will be judged, right? The marriage bed is only honorable in marriage. The covenant that a man makes with a woman before God. God's the one who did that. So so that's what it is. Evil is actually a twist of what's good. People, we and I, you and I become, we're really experts at stuff like that. Uh, We can really take that which is good and make it evil very quickly. Matter of fact, with no problem at all. But there's a, a third thing that true repentance culminates in the change of acting. Acting regarding your sin. Um, we'll get back to Psalm 51, just stay there. But uh, another passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians seven eleven, it says, For behold, what eagerness this very thing that godly sorrow has produced in you. Again, a godly sorrow uh, that leads again to repentance. Well, what, what changes in our acting does this, and I think this is the most significant part of what I'm um, saying this evening, is that there in, inside of us, we truly do change. And there are certain things that, uh, certain manifestations that come about because of true repentance. And here's the, look at Psalm 51, verse 1. All right? Confession of sin. All right? Look at verse 1. When Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, what does he say? Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. That's a confession, right? But it's a confession not only of his sin, but of some of the God who can now do something about it. So there's a confession that comes. Another thing that comes is the forsaking of sin, regardless of the loss or the cost. Verse 8 and 9 Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which I have broken rejoice. Verse 9, hide your face from my sin and blot out my iniquities. He's really saying there, listen, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm tired in the sense of being separated from you because of my sin. It hurts. It has done things in my life. I, I don't see your face anymore. I don't hear your voice anymore because of my sin and like back in acts if you remember when i was in acts chapter 19 uh what happened when repentance came to the people there in acts 19 and it says this and many of those who had believed kept coming confessing and disclosing their practices right and then it says and many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone and they counted up the price of them and found it 
50,000 pieces of silver. I don't know about you, but even today, that's a significant amount of money, right? Back then, it was a humongous amount of money. But what it is, here it is, repentance came, and what, what is it, does it bring out? It brings out a confessing tongue and a changing of behavior. I don't want to do what I used to do. This is evil stuff. God does, is not pleased with that. And then, then another thing, uh, in Psalm 51, there is the sense of um, replacing sin with righteousness. Psalm 51, verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the in in the innermost uh, in my in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know to know wisdom. Again, in the sense of re- replacing sin with righteousness, and then Psalm fifty-one, uh, verse eight through eleven, a, a new desire for fellowship. In fact, a longing desire for sustained fellowship. Look at verse number eight. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquities. Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's yearning again after repentance. What? For sustained fellowship with God that was broken because of his sin and then, again, desired restoration. Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. One thing that goes quickly when sin comes is joy. He wants the joy back. Joy uh, is robbed because of sin. And that not only that, but is there... He has now an unrestrained will... In verse 12, give me a willing spirit. He has, an un, he has unrestrained service. In verse 13, desiring acceptable service. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Lord, restore to me the service that I once was involved with, right? So sin robs you of joy, of service, of worship, of fellowship, of righteousness, of uh, confession. It robs you of everything. And then I think one of the key verses in this passage of Scripture is really an unrestrained lips to worship. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. And then notice, then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praises. See, when you sin, and you love your sin more than God, you cannot praise Him. It's like, it's like putting a lock on your, 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 your soul and your mouth. Probably, in some ways, you feel so guilty, you, you believe, you, you get a sense you can't, and that's true. But here, when real repentance comes, God frees you up. Unrestrained will and service and worship from the lips. Yes, worship from the mouth. Why? So we can declare God's praises. So we, de- we can declare from our mouth God's praises. And then what happens? God restores us right back to complete restoration. Verse number 18 and 19. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. 
Verse 19, then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. That's just a complete, an Old Testament picture of complete worship, restoration to worship God. Now, so there it is. Those are some of the things, some reasons why repentance is so crucial, not only for salvation, but for sanctification, because it is mandated by God for our well-being and really the well-being of the whole world. Because of the means God ordained to bring about repentance and salvation in our life, not only, uh, not only at, for conversion, but for sanctification, and also because of the modification of our heart, mind, and soul to sustain ongoing fellowship with God himself on a regular basis while we're left here on this earth before glory, right? We're heading to glory, but until then, repentance is still crucial, right? And I find myself repenting daily about something. Why? My sensitivity to sin, and yours too, is, is, is heightened, and I don't want to lose fellowship with God. I'm not, it's not that I'm, it's not a, done out of guilt or fear, don't get me wrong, that's where people go with that, right? It's done out of relationship. I'm, I'm learning through the Word of God and all these years that God's Word is true, and he is real, and I want to have a relationship with him, and I know there's one thing that can mess that up, and that's sin, right? And I don't want it. Uh, and that's a struggle every day for both you and me, and it's going to continue to be a struggle. But, and you know, we're, we're, we're going to win the battle uh, completely when we're in God's presence with new resurrected bodies, right? But until then, our struggle is real every day. And so we're, we have to stand in the, with the armor of God on and stand up against the wiles of Satan um, so we can stand strong. So, because of what you heard today, what do you need to change? What do you need to do? What do you need to reorganize in your life? What distractions do you need to remove from your life? What avenues of sin that you've been playing with in your life that needs to be finally put to death and closed up? Shop needs to be closed up, right? Whatever, however that has happened, it needs to be shut down. And, um, and those are real choices that we have to make every single day as believers. God gives us the strength to do that. And, um, and when we do it, we're glad for it. Amen? And, it, and I'm glad for when I see other people do it and realize that um, this is true and it works in a very practical way in people's lives. It's not just theoretical. It's practical. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the word of God. I, I do uh, appreciate the awesome opportunity to even look at it, think about it, grapple with it, practice it, knowing that it comes from you, Lord, and especially this uh, subject tonight of repentance, 
Lord, make it real to us every day. Thank you, Lord, that it is there and made available to us that when we sin, we can turn from it. But Lord, give us some of the things in our heart uh, that David had, knowing, Lord, that sin is evil, that it's sinned against you, that it causes destruction and removes from us some of the things that we don't want to lose, like joy and worship and praise and the delight of life. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would make us people who are sensitive to our sin and then know what to do with it. Bring it to you, the God who's a God of loving kindness and tender care, a God in Christ Jesus who shed his blood on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to now implement it in our life. In Christ's name I ask and pray this. Amen.